Hello, Marvelites. You are listening to Marvel's Pull List for new Marvel Comics on sale September 15, 2021. I am Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Tucker Marcus. Tucker, we got a show today uh, because big news like every which way you turn for the Marvel world. Last week when our episode went out, we couldn't talk about some big Marvel Comics news, specifically about Marvel Unlimited and Infinity Comics. Tucker, can you explain what Infinity Comics are? Yes. Uh, Marvel's Infinity Comics are available exclusively on Marvel Unlimited. And for them, top creators are delivering in-universe stories designed for your device in a visionary vertical format that expand the world of Marvel. And today on the brand Banking new Marvel Unlimited. You could read over 30 Infinity comics starring the X-Men, Shang-Chi, Captain America, Jeff the Landshark, and so much more. You just got to go to marvel.com slash unlimited to get started. This is just like one of those million crazy exciting things that's been happening in recent days. Yeah, uh, there were announcements for new Marvel video games starring Wolverine and, and uh, Marvel Spider-Man 2 and, and all kinds of stuff and episodes of incredible television. And, you know, of course, Marvel Shang-Chi is still in theaters and like all kinds of stuff. But if you are pulling up your Marvel Unlimited app, the Infinity Comics, there's some really great stuff in there. X-Men Unlimited right now, Jonathan Hickman and Declan Shalvey doing a really cool story of Wolverine. We've got Giant Size Little Marvels, which is Scotty Young style Marvel Adventures. Uh, we've got a whole Shang-Chi series that you can read. There's a Black Widow one shot, some Captain America in there. Um, there's a prelude to Amazing Fantasy, which is a book we've already picked at least once for one of our picks of the week. Uh, that's really terrific. But the sensation that's sweeping the nation known as It's Jeff. <laughs> you have to say it with like a very specific inflection because there's yeah, an exclamation yeah, yeah. point on it. It's Jeff is an Infinity comic written by one of the Marvel's Polis All-Stars, Kelly yep. Thompson, drawn by another pair of Marvel's Polis All-Stars, Gurihiru. Jeff is a land shark and he gets in a little hijinks and it's really, really absolutely wonderful. We had Kelly Thompson and the editor and sort of like a lot of the creative shepherding of the Infinity Comics line, Stephen Wacker. We had the two of them on This Week in Marvel recently, so you can go check that out. And um, we have a ton more issues to go. Like there's going to be a hundred vertical comics in Marvel Unlimited by the end of the year. So you can basically open your Marvel Unlimited app on a Monday, a Wednesday, a Thursday, a Friday, and get new content new comics right now um which is really really cool it's very exciting subscribe to marvel unlimited go read some infinity comics and get super super excited oh yeah if you are ready for all those incredible infinity comics as well as all the other incredible stuff coming to marvel unlimited and already there, that's over 29,000 Marvel comics from the history of the Mighty Marvel Universe. Just go to marvel.com slash unlimited and start reading today. Automatic renewal and other terms apply. Yeah. With that said, we also have an action-packed show for you. We're going to run through all the brand new Marvel comics that hit stands this week. We are going to run down all the new collections, everything that is hitting Marvel Unlimited in terms of the stuff that is newly added to the library this week. And of course, we have a reading club where we dig into a story on Marvel Unlimited and talk about it. And who are we talking with this week, Tucker? 
This week, we're talking with writer Stephanie Williams. You might know Stephanie's work from Marvel's Voices. You might know Stephanie's work from Marvel.com, from a bunch of great stuff. One of those up-and-coming, really exciting voices in the comic book world right now. And also, may I add, a scientist. We're talking about Do More so it sort of all applies. If you're a smarty like Vicky Von Doom, like Stephanie, you're going to enjoy this one. It's a really, really fun chat. Hell yeah. With all that in mind, let's dive into our picks of the week. And we're starting off with Fantastic Four number 35. It is like almost 100 pages long. <laughs> so it's massive. And it is Dan Slott, writer, and John Romita Jr. at the helm of... A huge Kang and Fantastic Four epic. If you have any questions about who Kang is, what Kang's about, or if you're like a longtime Kangophile, Kang Kangomaniac, <laughs> then this is also right up your alley. You've got multiple versions of Kang across time: the you know Immortus and Kang and the Pharaoh Ramatut and Silver Centurion, but. On top of that, we have a new character called the Scion who's in here and getting all muckety-muck. you got time-displaced versions of the Fantastic Four, and it is all brought to life by John Romita Jr., one of the all-time comic book greats. Like, there's this parts in the story where characters are sort of like melding through walls, and there's this fluidity of the way Johnny draws that. It's just one of the many incredible things I picked up in this issue. It's fantastic. It's big. It's huge. It's, you know, we're celebrating 60 years of the Fantastic Four this year. And this feels like a wonderful, wonderful tribute to everything FF, especially all the Kang stuff that um, they're trying to cook up now. The, just the weird science and time travel aspects of the FF on display right here. So incredible. Literally an issue worth an entire episode. <laughs> of yeah. this podcast alone. We could dig into it so deep. Um, but I'm going to take us now over to my pick this week, which is X-Men, The Trial of Magneto, number two. It's written by the great Leah Williams with art by Lucas Wernick, colors by Edgar Delgado, letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. I also right off the bat want to give a shout out to Ivan Chavrin, who has an incredible variant for this issue that I really, really love. Anyway, obviously we have huge drama going on with Magneto, with Scarlet Witch, and a bunch of other mutants who are deeply intertwined with that story. But because of all those characters' presence in this book, I just realized like Leah has such a high hit rate for characters that I just want Leah Williams to write forever. Every single time a new character would show up, in a panel or there was another confrontation. I was just like giddy reading it. I think one of the coolest things about this issue is there are so many different points of conflict. Obviously the kind of center story is around Magneto and Scarlet Witch and some crazy stuff that happened in issue number one. But then you also have this, like just these swirling allegiances and deep personal histories and grudges and politics and ulterior motives all happening at the same time. It's really just masterful work. I love Leah. I love Lucas. I think we've said it a few times in recent years. It's some of my fondest memories of of doing this show with you, Ryan, is those moments where we get to look at a, uh, an artist and we say, I think right now we're in the midst of this artist's 
like a rival party. And I feel like that's happening with Lucas Warnick. So there's just so much to enjoy about this series. This is one that I'm truly like on the edge of my seat reading and cannot wait for the next issue. I'm with you 100%. Also amazing, crushing it here, is Evan Narciss, the writer of The Last Annihilation, Wakanda. He's so good on this issue. And he is joined by Hedeman Peralta and Jesus Arbutov doing colors with letters by VCs Corey Pettit. This is a Last Annihilation tie-in. Annihilation is one of my favorite all-time events at Marvel, both Annihilation and Annihilation Conquest. And this feels so similar in that scope and that bleakness, the surprising, you know, turn a corner and everything is is wild moments, but also very set in what the Marvel Universe is now as opposed to in 2006, 2007. It really jumps off of everything that ta Coates and his collaborators were doing in the pages of Black Panther, specifically the Intergalactic Empire of Wakanda. This issue is called The Last Annihilation Wakanda, not Last Annihilation Black Panther. Because while Black Panther, T'Challa, does play a major role in this, it focuses on a lot of other aspects of Wakanda and other characters. The one who gets the spotlight here is M'Baku, the M'Baku of the intergalactic rebel faction of these stories. Obviously not the M'Baku from Earthside Wakanda who, who perished many years ago, but it sort of weaves in the history the expectations, the feelings, the insecurities and anxieties that a character named after someone who was kind of villainous, kind of in a difficult situation. And there's a whole lot wrapped up in the the original M'Baku, a character who bears that name and what that means for them, to them and around them. That's just one aspect. Another aspect is you have giant monsters trying to turn the universe into a pentagram so another giant demonic entity can take over it. There's all kinds of wild and weird space stuff in here. You've got the Shi'ar, Imperial Guard, who are some of my favorite spacey characters. You've got big cosmic mishigas between the Shi'ar, the Wakandans, and the Krakoans, and the, you know, the X-Men. This is kind of a perfect issue if you want to get a sense of what the intergalactic like Empire part of Wakanda is all about, especially now and what they've gone through. It's a great issue. It looks gorgeous. Herman does stellar, really cool stuff. And Jesus's colors have this watercolor feeling to them. It adds this emotional dimension to a cosmic story that I think works very perfectly throughout this entire thing. It's brutal. It's scary at times. It's also incredibly sweet and hopeful in the midst of a universe destroying event. I love it. Now, one of our listeners recently pinged me for not giving our flowers to the mighty Valkyries. They were like, why aren't you guys talking about the work that Mattia Iulis is doing as artist on mighty Valkyries? Why aren't you talking about Torin Grunbeck and Jason Aaron and what they've been doing with Runa and Jane Foster Valkyrie and all the characters in that? And they're right. So I wanted to make a special mention of Mighty Valkyries for those creators are doing some really spectacular work. There's giant moments in this issue of Loki's grandchild called Moore. Moore turns into a wolf and they grow so large they almost eat hell. If that's not a selling point to read a book, <laughs> then I don't know if you're ready for comic books, my friend. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, and this was the final issue of this series. I know we're going to get more Valkyries. We're going to get more from these characters. 
But I think these five issues, and then the King in Black tie-in issues, I think those stand all together as a wonderful rebirth of the Valkyrie stories and characters. And God, I'm looking at this issue, and some of Matias' work is jaw-dropping. Yeah. We have one more pick And this one comes from uh, our amazing producer, Jasmine, who just tossed in, it's Jeff, (laughs) Infinity Comic number one, because, yeah, of course, it's Jeff is one of the greatest things. Tucker, you got to agree. I 100% agree. We're going picks nuts this week. I think it says a lot about the books and, in this case, the Infinity Comics available this week because there's so much good stuff. It's Jeff. Numero Uno was written by Kelly Thompson with art by Guda Hiru. This is uh, It's Jeff Pool Party. It does get very interesting very quickly just in, in terms of the format that we're talking about here because the whole point is that it sort of upends what your comic book reading experience is like. But nevertheless, the way that this reads, it's so much fun. It's obviously so adorable. This is an entirely visual story. Of course, we love Jeff, one of the great standout all-stars of recent years. But I love a little detail in here, like Miles Morales, who is in like Miles Morales, Spider-Man swim trunks and mask. Uh, I like love these little details. Same thing with Star-Lord and like Cap and everything. So much fun. It's just like absolute epitome of our favorite phrase, ding, dang, delight. Yeah. And I will read to you all right now the text I sent to Kelly as soon as I finished, it's Jeff, issue number one, F- hell, there is nothing more pure and good in this world than it's Jeff. And then she just wrote back, right? <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. And look, this is a great segue for multiple reasons. One, I, I just want to say, because like, look, Jeff is this incidental character that popped up from Kelly Thompson and just took off immediately had a life of his own, became a huge fan favorite, and now has the Infinity comic. But I think that speaks to how incredible a writer Kelly is. Uh, In case you didn't know, I'm a huge Kelly Thompson fan, which is why we now go into our fresh floppies for the week, and we kick it off with Kelly Thompson's Black Widow number 11. Kelly is, of course, joined on this one by Rafael de la Torre. When you get something like this and you get an issue that is, this is called The Source, and this is just a part one of one story arc, I think it's just so perfect and so much fun. It allows for the writer, for the creative team to go into a certain direction for a certain amount of time, zoom in on a certain character, zoom in on a certain element of the story, and give it the attention it deserves before going back out. My Jeff the Landshark golden trophy goes to Rafael De La Torre, who I think absolutely crushes this art. Some really cool, really inventive fight scenes in here as well. Hell yeah. And the dresses that Yelena and Natasha wear. So awesome. Good God. So wonderfully designed. <laughs> so cool. Something so wonderful to something so horrific in Eternals <laughs> Thanos Rises number one. Karen Gillan doing great work, comes here with this one shot, and we we get to actually have amazing art by Dustin Weaver in this one. This is about the origins of Thanos, really. There's a great Thanos series that Jason Aaron did with Simone Bianchi many years ago, but this is the origin of Thanos more closely to his parentage, to Mentor and Suisan, his biological parents, and it's so upsetting, especially as a parent. And it's something that I think about a lot is like, 
everything that we do for our kids, you never know what the world's going to bring you, what their nature is going to bring you, and you can only do your best. And I'm not saying my daughter is in any way like Thanos, (laughs) but this really digs into the Eternals history and how Thanos got made in a number of ways. I will give my Jeff the Landshark golden trophy to the last two pages of this issue, which shows the sort of punishment that is enacted upon two characters and how horrific and upsetting it is for their part in the creation of Thanos. What a dark issue. It's really great, but it's a dark one. Oh, yeah. Next up, we have Extreme Carnage Agony, number one. This is written by Alyssa Wong, who I'm a huge fan of. And I think there's a bunch of efficient storytelling going on in here as we get to know this character of Agony that I think it works really well because you're combining this character work with some really like wild, big monster story stuff, obviously not least including Carnage. But the art in here is what I want to give my Jeff the Landshark Golden Trophy 2 because it's by Fran Galan and Danilo Esperuth. Uh, the colors are by Jim Campbell. It's a really beautiful and like unique looking book. I think it's great. We've had a bunch of these Extreme Carnage issues um, and I think this is a really unique looking one. I really, really enjoy the visuals here. Yeah. Uh, all right. We've got Fantastic Four Life Story number four this week. This is the series that says, well, if the Fantastic Four started in 1961, let's tell a story that each issue takes place in the the next decade. So we're sort of following them if they aged in more real time, not Marvel time. So this is the 1990s. You know, we've, we've already lost one of the members of the FF. They've gone through a lot. There's a lot of changes in this issue. And the the sort of hovering specter of Galactus coming to Earth has been there since the beginning. That has been the sort of driving force for Reed Richards in this entire series. And um, they make major strides into Galactus's approach in this issue. And I'm very much looking forward to seeing what does happen in this last issue because I haven't had that spoiled for me. But man, it is a whopper. My Jeff the Landshark golden trophy award goes to the first panel of the first page of this issue as uh, Ben Grimm is walking across the street and the caption reads, I like the nineties. Everybody dresses like a dock worker and it's a (laughs) bunch of grunge kids next to Ben Grimm. And it's, it's really terrific. Oh yeah. Uh, Next up we have Iron Man number 12 on hell and Zueta. It just absolutely crushes this on hell has been putting in consistent, great work, for years now, but I looked at this and I was just instantly sort of blown away. Really beautiful. And shout out to Frank D'Armada. We know he's one of the best in the biz, but the sort of muted palette, the really carefully considered tones, the deep reds that we're looking at on Tony's suit, something like that. And the touch that you can see Tony's eyes through his mask, through his helmet. Um, It adds so much life and character to so many different moments where you can see the fear in his eyes. You can see the anger in his eyes. You just connect to the character in a really fresh way. So great job, great execution to everybody involved. All right, we've got Kang the Conqueror number two this week. This one follows as this young version of Kang runs into the version of himself in ancient Egypt, Ramatut. Uh, we get to see some transformations as Kang sort of adopts um, maybe the another personality here to get involved in the battle. We get to meet a romantic interest that will cause many problems 
for young Kang, old Kang, every Kang uh, across time. But my Jeff the Landshark Golden Trophy Award goes to the inclusion of another ancient Egyptian character who was uh, around during that time and how they tussle it up with old Ramatut. And I don't remember reading this. I'm sure I have read a story like this before, but how this all shakes out, especially the last page. Man, I freaking love that. So much good stuff and more good stuff on the way in Marauders number 24. We are given the profound honor and delight of getting art brought to us by Phil Noto. I feel like the Marauders are in a really unique and precarious position at this point in their broader story. So to see where they head in this issue is really unique. And I just love the organic flow that it's followed with everything that's going on in Krakoa, what's going on in the broader mutant push into the universe. I think it's so great. And in here we get like Phil Noto doing Bishop, which is just two of my favorites. Rules. Hell yeah. What also rules is Spider-Woman number 15, another one of our favorites on this show. It's got some of our favorite choreographed action. There's a wonderful sequence in here inside Jessica Drew's apartment where just the visceral beating she gives to a bunch of no-good nicks is wild. I will give my uh, Jeff the Landshark Golden Trophy Award to Pere Perez for drawing the perfect sleeping baby throughout this issue as Jerry is like so tuckered out because he's just gone through so much stuff. And there's one panel where he's just being handed from one adult to another, just completely flop bodied, (laughs) drooling, passed out. It's so perfectly drawn. I kept staring at that panel like, yep, that feels very real. (laughs) And now on to a character that we first got to know as a baby. Luke Skywalker, who appears in Star Wars Darth Vader number 16, hats off to the mind of Greg Pak, who is such a master comic book writer. He's been putting in top-notch work for so long, and I think even given all of his years and years of great stuff that he's done before, I really think that this Vader series is him reaching new heights. It's absolutely beautiful. The visual storytelling in here, let alone the actual story that we're living inside of, it really just knows no bounds. So shout out to everyone involved on this series. And my Jeff the Lanchar Golden Trophy goes to these first like three pages. Take a peek at those and you will find yourself without a choice but to head down to your LCS and pick this one up. Great stuff. Hell yeah. We got another Star Wars book with Star Wars War of the Bounty Hunters. Boosh. Number one. (laughs) I don't know if that's how you say it, but I read it B-O-U-S-H-H and I'm just like, boosh. Hell yeah. And uh, another Alyssa Wong issue this week. And it's drawn by David Baldion. So happy to see David tapping into some Star Wars stuff. It is a beautiful, wonderful, weird issue. It ties into the War of the Bounty Hunters as um, there's a lot of characters going after Han Solo. There's a lot of stuff going on with Crimson Dawn and and things like that. And it ties into characters from Alyssa's run on Dr. Aphra. But I want to give my Jeff the Landshark Golden Trophy Award to a two-page sequence in which the five characters in Boosh's crew are sitting down and having dinner. And you don't see their faces, but you read their conversation. And the emotional connection that they have together is so well drawn in the dialogue and the the subtle hand movements. And I thought that 
they did such incredible world building for these characters I had no connection to. Um, so I really, really dug those. Totally agreed. My last issue I'm covering this week is the finale of Web of Spider-Man. And I love this crew. This is an incredible series for younger readers to dive into. But I think it's sort of led wonderfully by this group. Um, it's Peter Parker. We have Dorian Green, of course, Squirrel Girl. We have um, Lunella Lafayette. We have Spider-Bot. We have Anome. And we have Harley Keener. And talking about art like I have been so much throughout this episode, shout out to Alberto Albuquerque, who does an incredible job. I think this is like a really beautiful series altogether. It's been really, really great stuff. So my Jeff Lanchard Golden Trophy goes to Alberto. Great job on everybody involved in this series. It's been a really, really fun read. Yeah. Final new issue of the week is Warhammer 40,000 Sisters of Battle number two. There's so much blood. There's so much bullets and like viscera and exploding bodies and sliced up things and creatures and gnarly stuff. If you are into Warhammer 40k, this has got to be your bread and butter. This is right up your alley, I'm sure. I will say that as someone who is not familiar with this brand or these worlds at all, Torin Gronbeck, the writer, does a wonderful job of bringing me into it, especially around the characters of the Sisters of Battle here who go through some messed up stuff and get allusions to their their connections and their history here. So my Jeff the Landshark Golden Trophy Award goes to specifically the, the last couple of beats of this story and the emotional pull that it has on the reader. All right. That's what we have for all our new individual issues this week. Now we look over to collections. I want to shout out Savage Avengers, Volume 4, King in Black. That was such a good tie-in. We also have Thor and Loki, Double Trouble. We'll talk about incredible books for younger readers. It's so incredible. And then uh, if you've been talking about Wolverine this week, if you've been excited about old Logan, then why not pick up Volumes 1 and 2 of Wolverine by Jason Aaron, the complete collection. Yeah. Over on Marvel Unlimited, we've got tons of great books. We've got three Heroes Reborn tie-ins. We've got some Spider-Man, Spider-Shadow, and we are in the Hellfire Gala, X-Men number 21 in Marvel Unlimited this week, alongside, once again, all the X-Men Unlimited Infinity comics. You're going to get uh, a whole bunch more even after this episode goes out. You've got Captain America, issue number three. It's Jeff, issue number four, and Giant Size Little Marvel's Infinity Comic, issue number four, also coming this week. So open up the app every morning and get a special treat. It's pretty great. Such good stuff. All right. While you're in the brand spanking new shiny MU app, why not open up Doom War? That is the six-issue series from 2010, which we are discussing with writer Stephanie Williams. So much fun stuff to dive into here. A really, really unique conversation, I think, specifically with Stephanie. So listen to that right now. Tucker, it's time to get do, do me with do me with it. Is that is that a phrase that people use when they talk yes. about Doctor Doom? Yes. Yes. We are getting do me with it with our guest this week, Stephanie Williams. Hello, Stephanie. Hey, I'm so happy to be here. We're we're happy to have you. We're happy to talk about your reading club selection of Doom War, which 
I hadn't read this since it came out. So, um, Stephanie, first tell us uh, where fans might know you from and then uh, why you picked Do More. So fans might know me from uh, the Twitters at Steph I Will. I write things mostly comic related. I might have written a two-page Monica Rambo story for Marvel um, in Marvel Voices Legacy. And Doom War is something that I like to read every single summer because it is a blockbuster of a series. You've got appearances from the X-Men, Fantastic Four. You have Doom. Doom gets naked. You find out that Bass is, while a panther god, one that Wakanda might want to talk to when it comes to his process and, you know, doing his due diligence. And then you got like Storm, Shuri. It's just a really fun series. Oh, and Deadpool. If you have Deadpool, it's always going to be a good time. <laughs> you said it's it's a recurring read for you. It's an annual read. But what was the first time uh, you picked it up? Ooh, I want to say, I don't know, like maybe like 2012 was about the first time that I read it. So like two years after it came out and it was just a random pickup for me. I, I like I accidentally bought issue three because um, I was like just grabbing <laughs> comics out of a bin. And like I, I'm someone who falls for cover art. And I think for issue three is like doing doing like the chess pieces or whatever. And I was like, oh, wait, it's a, a whole series. So like, let me get the rest of the issues and I just instantly loved it. I'm like, why are we not talking about this series more? It's just so, like, every all my favorites are there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, with that in mind, one of the things we like to do is to see if our guest can give us a 30-second summary of the storyline uh, that we're talking about. I will give you a countdown, and then I'll put 30 seconds on the clock in three, two, one. So imagine Wakanda has been taken over. Um, T'Challa does what T'Challa does, which is sacrifice Storm for the betterment of Wakanda. Uh, The X-Men are pissed about that, but they still decide to help him out um, because Doom, he wants vibranium because Doom is Doom and he wants to create Doom World. Um, And Bass is okay with that. So T'Challa and all of his friends and, and once upon a time ago enemies team up and come help him out. And they save the world. Nailed it. Yep, there you go. (laughs) So Jonathan Mayberry was the writer. We'll give the credits. It's written by Jonathan Mayberry, pencils by Scott Eaton, inks by Annie Lanning and Robert Campanella, Jamie Mendoza, Dave Mikus, uh, with colors by Jean-Francois Ballou and letters by VCs Corey Pettit and Joe Caramagna. This is a really good time. Like, I think if you're into this, it's going to be a fun read. But it's also like this is we had a bunch of projects by Jonathan Mayberry at this time. Jonathan Mayberry, I believe, like a novelist, horror writer, had come in to do some cool stuff. There's the Black Panther stuff that he did. But I particularly love the Marvel Universe versus the Avengers, Marvel Universe versus the Punisher, Marvel Universe versus Wolverine. Like I love alternate universe storylines with just everything terrible happens and then On top of that, more terrible stuff happens. And so you kind of get a little bit of that in this, but like in the Marvel Universe, like he's good at making bad things happen to our favorite characters. Yeah. And making it believable on top of that. Because like each like issue one, two, three, four, five, I'm just like, okay, so like, are they going to win? Or is Doom really going to walk away scot-free in this? And thankfully he doesn't, but... Yeah, Jonathan Mayberry is very excellent when it comes to that. And you just read off those titles and like, oh, I think two of those I haven't read yet. So I'm going to have to do that is like immediately after we finish. 
Stephanie, are you a big Dr. Doom fan in general? Were you a Dr. Doom fan before this? What's your relationship in general to old Vicky? So I love Dr. Doom because he is a bit of a sassy villain. Um, one that <laughs> <laughs> I think if there was ever like another Marvel universe or whatever where they had like real housewives that he would definitely be <laughs> on that cast because he has some one-liners um he always has that goblet too where you know doom is here to be rude doom is here with a plan and he's just here to do what he does i mean anyone who can try to woo storm and like maybe almost succeed but walk away you know with their their pride and their their life is <laughs> <laughs> they got a fan of me so yeah, and like Doom has been tormenting the Fantastic Four for decades. I mean, it's just petty. Like, let it go. Like, that's he's holding on to this grudge since I don't know when. And I don't like, I just appreciate it. Like, he's just one of those Marvel villains where, you know, I would sign up for his Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> Doom is the greatest villain of all time. Yeah. Saying that here, I don't even think that's a hot take. That's just like, come on. Uh, Ryan, I'm curious about the broader like context of what was going on at Marvel at the time this was released. Do you recall and do you remember like obviously it's connected to the broader Marvel universe in terms of like Shuri is Black Panther in this and like there's other elements like that that are clearly connected to continuity at the time. But do you remember what the vibe was when this was coming out? I want to say this was after Dark Reign. Dark Reign being when sort of the villains had come to power a little bit more. Times were tough for a lot of the superheroes in this. T'Challa was not Black Panther. Shuri was Black Panther. So the end of Dark Reign goes right into Siege, the event Siege, where sort of the heroes can finally come back together. They topple Norman Osborn and the, the bad guys and do a whole bunch of stuff. So Siege is going on at this time. That's like issue number two is around the at the same point. War of Kings is going on. In the cosmic side of things, you've got Incredible Hercules sort of going on in that realm of things. So Hercules taking up the mantle. The Marvel's Project book has come out, which is real good if anybody hasn't read Marvel's Project. That's a neat one. I believe Ed Brubaker wrote that. Uh, the X-Men, they have their island of utopia. So they're sort of trying to uh, settle themselves as their own people again. Necrotia is going on in X-Force, which is a really great storyline. That's some dark, good stuff. Yeah, there's a lot of really good books happening at this point across the line. Right. Stephanie, where were you in your like Marvel Comics readership? Did you grow up reading Marvel Comics? And... You know, to place this not in the context of the Marvel Universe or Marvel Comics itself, but in terms of your relationship to what you're reading. So when I did pick this up, it was like totally separate from what I was reading. It was like reading Archie Digest. So mm. <laughs> two totally different things. Because um, like for a while, um, for Marvel Comics, it was just me picking up random trades or just mm. issues um, and just kind of flipping through them. It wasn't until, honestly... When I had money, you know, like an actual real job, adult job yeah. that I can, you know, really start keeping up with the current issues. So do more. I felt like I got plopped into and I had to like retroactively go back with like a Marvel Unlimited to kind of get an idea of what was going on, because I thought it was interesting that, you know, Cyclops and Emma were like 
I don't know, we can help you, but if the others want to go, they can, because, you know, they're trying to establish utopia, but I didn't know any of that at the time when I read it. So it was actually kind of fun to kind of just go back and see like what was going on at this time, how June was even able to infiltrate Wakanda in the first place mm-hmm. with the Nanites. And that's like a continuation of um story from Manchuri was Black Panther. So it was just kind of all over the place. That's why Marvel Unlimited is so great now, because you could just kind of <laughs> like you can get caught up on all the events. I love hearing about that kind of jumping into the middle of a storyline way of diving into comics. Cause that's yeah. what I did, you know, when I was a kid, I've told this before, but like I picked up X-Men number three, and then Infinity Gauntlet number six at the same time, like sight unseen, like these covers are great. I want to know what's going on here. And you pick those up and like, it's just like your eyes open and your mind expands because you got all these cool stories and you're like, who's this character? Why is that character doing that? What does this mean? Where's this thing? How do I find out more about this? It like, that's my favorite thing about one of my favorite things about comics is the discovery aspect. Do you do you remember what else, like, specifically you were like, all right, I have to dig into this character or this storyline or whatever it is after you were reading this? Was it the X-Men stuff or was there something else? Um, so it was X-Men stuff. It was the Fantastic Four stuff because then I was like, okay, well, I need to know and I want to better understand T'Challa's um, history with the Fantastic Four from the go. And I love the fact that I, when I discovered that he flew them out, Wakanda to fight them and then like befriend them. I thought that was great. And then that led me into just getting more into Dr. Doom and just the way that he does the thing with so- Sorcery Supreme. And um, of course, just more X-Men stuff and the Dora Milaje because the way that they are in Doom War, when I went to, you know, backtrack again to the first to um Christopher Priest's Black Panther run when it was first introduced and just kind of seeing like their evolution up to this point uh, for this book, I my mind is blown. Like comics is such a beautiful thing because there are just so many iterations and these characters, a lot of them have existed for decades. So to see like where they started and where they are now, but it's always still very much like who that character was at the very first page when they were introduced. Now that you see this growth and you see these bits and pieces of them from um, their earlier introductions and see how they evolve. I don't like, it's something about that just really cool. Come from a science background. So I don't know, like something about that growth and the way to just keep reinventing these characters so that they are relevant um, is something that's just, I just think it's so cool. Yeah, thinking about that and then going the other direction, rereading this made me think about Ta-Nehisi Coates' run on Black Panther and how he used the Dora and how important they were and, and like the angels and all the different like parts of the Dora and how they've sort of grown and become a different part and how they've shaped Wakanda in so many ways. And there's moments in Doom War that I'd forgotten of like, it almost happens so fast. Like we just lost 11 more and it's like, you're losing double digit members of the Dora Milaje, which one means that your foe is a nightmare Two, that is like ripping out the heart of your country. It's like, I, I was like affected by that more than I would have thought I would be just thinking about the character building we've gotten for the Dora over the last, you know, five years. I thought now I think this Doom War actually 
benefits from the building of stories that we've had over the last you know couple of years? Absolutely, because um, Anika um, is in this, and for whatever weird reason, I just automatically thought that Io had been introduced in this comp. But no, that's that's not what happened at all. Mm. Um, and I think I got it mixed up because the Midnight Angels this tactical force, they're there, but it's not the same as the way that the Midnight Angels is used in Tanahasi Coates' run. Like, it's it's the actual um, the gear that they're wearing. I thought that was a really great callback and how that's just kind of connected. And, you know, we see from the start how integral Anika is to uh, just the door Milaje. And you're right, like, reading Doom War and having the last five or six years what we've gotten of the door melange just makes the story even better even richer because they're not throwaway pieces they're very integral to uh wakanda and that point is just hit home even more in the current run of black panther so again like isn't that great marvel unlimited you read the current stuff you go back you read the older stuff (laughs) and you can appreciate it more did you say you have a science background Yes, I went to college as a biology major because I thought I wanted to be a doctor. And then I found out that I like people. I just don't like them enough to like <laughs> have their lives depend on me in that way. So I fell into the research side of things. I was like, I can still help people, not have to interact with them a whole bunch, um, deal with you know <laughs> mice and all of that, and just kind of mind my business. And so once I graduated, I ended up working and electron microscopy and become an electron microscopist, which sounds super daunting, but basically, you know, I took photographs. Um, I would get a biopsy from a patient or um, maybe an animal or something. And this very, very long, long, long um, <laughs> series of techniques, you get this uh, sliver <laughs> of <laughs> the biopsy, you put it on a copper grid, you stick it into a microscope that, Doom actually might be a little, he might be a little interested in it. It's probably something that he can build in his sleep. Um, But it's a huge microscope and you get to see just like these molecular structures on a very nano level. And you photograph to tell a story to show the pathologist like, hey, this is what's going on in this tissue. So is it lupus? Is it some other disease? Is it hypertension? Um, Is there cancer going on? So there was an art to it. And, you know, I often don't think of science as art, but it is in some respects. So from there, I use my research talents to uh, start really applying that to the comics and how I read them and consume them and like, you know, relay that information to others because comics are daunting. There are like so many of them. It's just like, how are you going to read all that? But you don't have to do it all in one sitting. So I try to do my best to find the stories that really matter to the character synthesize it in a way that folks don't feel so scared when they say, where do I start? You can start anywhere. And then you can go back or go forward. Hell yeah. That's the best, like, succinct way to talk about getting into comics. Honestly, people talk about how daunting it is all the time. The answer is just go for it. And then you can pick whatever direction you want. I I love hearing your description of, like, how you marry your science brain, the technical aspects of that job with how maybe the storytelling part of you reacts in similar manners. Is that something you're thinking about often 
mean, we mentioned the Monica Rambeau story and, and, you know, whether it's that or whatever you might be working on, do you always sort of have a, a conscious like connection or tie to the way you think about storytelling? Do you think of it in those terms when you're the storyteller in terms of the building blocks, in terms of weaving the narrative from these small pieces into this bigger thing? Is that something that you also do when you're in that front, not just a reader? Absolutely. Danny Lore uh, said it best when they were talking about how they go about writing comics and it's solving for X because you have, you know, 22 to 24 pages, however many panels, and you've got to hit those beats on, um, you know, each page. So by the time you get to the very end, you can hopefully stick that landing. And science is kind of the same way. Like you, there are steps that you have to follow. Um, There might be some wiggle room, but if you don't follow you know, the procedures correctly, then you've wasted maybe 20 hours of work. Um, mm. And that's not fun. Um, and the same thing <laughs> with, a, with a story. I couldn't even imagine just reading Jim War and at some point, if the story would have fell apart, by the time you get to issue six, that very last page, it does not hit the same way it does if Jonathan Mayberry hadn't spent time just kind of showing that, you know, while Wakanda is strong on its own, Wakanda works best, or seeing that it works best when, you know, they, they reach out to folks that can help. And that's that's essentially what ends up happening, how they're able to defeat Doom. And even for me in the Monica Rambeau story, I had two pages <laughs> and like X amount of panels. So just trying to land the jokes that took some took some math. And I know this sounds disgusting to hear when talking about, about art <laughs> and creative things. But for me, that's just kind of how I thought about it. You know, how much can I fit in this for it to make sense? So by the time we get to the very last panel, you're like, okay, that all made sense. It was a real fun story. Um, I remember reading this. It was real cute. We were talking with um, with Angelique Roche about the story because she's a big Monica fan. And yes. it's like, <laughs> you know, you got to get it. You got to pass her in order to <laughs> to get the stamp of approval she was she was very complimentary about the the story it was real sweet um i want to go back to the science and the sort of medical side of things do you as you're reading because you have higher knowledge about some areas of science and medicine than maybe your average reader certainly more than me do you ever get like hung up on certain things do you ever get taken out of a story when you read you know like Bibble babble about like a medical thing or some sort of sciencey thing or like you know oh they're doing an X-ray like that doesn't make sense. Does yeah, do you yeah. ever catch yourself with those? Absolutely not. No, <laughs> which I know is surprising, but I'm just like no. Um, I would never be able to enjoy too many of any of these stories if <laughs> if I did that. Like I couldn't even. Um, I think one time I tried to get hung up on something and I was like, you know what, no. I'm not here for this. Um, I can, you know, <laughs> open up um, a textbook or something like that if I really want to um, have a bad time trying to figure out the science of this. And again, like that's the beauty of just comics and just storytelling, period, where sure, some things are relatable. I mean, like they seem similar because we're talking about things we know in the real world and then trying to apply it to this this fake one, but it's a fake world. So it's, it's all good. It's okay if, um, you know, four plus four maybe doesn't always equal eight um, for Doom. Maybe sometimes it equals 10 and Thor's hammer. I don't know. It's all right. (laughs) I honestly think that's a skill to, like, suspend disbelief in that way or to separate yourself from 
whether it's a comic or a TV show or a movie or something like that, if you have like inside knowledge of these things, of how the sausage is made, I really think it's a skill to be able to get rid of that and just get lost in the story. In that same way, like, is that something that, you know, you talk about the math of storytelling, which is something I actually totally identify with. That actually makes perfect sense to me. And one, is that a thing where if you're telling a story, certain answers are given to you because, you know, it has to be that way in order for this other thing to make sense. And that has to be that way because of this other thing. And if you reverse engineer it all, you can get to the answer, you know, and, you know, it just gives it to yourself. Do you work that way? Do you identify with that? And then secondly, does that sort of like break down like very clear you say mathematical way of storytelling, does it make it all the more exciting when you can suspend disbelief and something that truly feels out of nowhere, out of left field, totally shocking and surprising and and like the math doesn't add up, but in a story way, it it does. Yeah, no, um, absolutely. Yes. Um, I just think about like whodunit stories, right? Where you very clearly know that this person did it, but then you spend the next, I don't know, hour or so of the TV show, 22 pages, 24, if it's a comic, the writer, whoever is convincing you to think that it's someone else, even though they told you, no, it's, it's this person. And I think that's, that is amazing to me to kind of show the reader, this actually is the answer, but to weave a story where it makes sense that you can still believe that, well, maybe it's not, even though this person has blood on their hands, like maybe it's not, maybe it's something else that happened because the story um, has been connected in a way to make it make sense. So by the time you get to the end, I'm like, no, 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 it was that guy. And you're like, oh, dang, it was that guy. You told me that. (laughs) Yes, you showed me all the evidence, but also this other stuff that made me believe that maybe it wasn't, it was another person or another thing. That is fascinating to me. Um, Because in science, um, you could try to do that. It's going to come back and bite you in the butt. Um, But (laughs) (laughs) but like with with storytelling, um, no, like you can that you're able to suspend belief just long enough or as long as you need to to tell your thing. And hopefully the reader sticks along for the ride. I think actually now that I have been writing more stories um, that has made me more appreciative of certain comics that maybe I didn't particularly like, but when I go back thinking about it now, like just as a writer, I'm like, actually, you know what? No, they did the thing that made sense. I want to go back to Doom a bit because in in the first issue, you get you get like a, a bunch of the setup. We talked about the X Men and how like Doom captures Storm. Doom is basically like usurped control of Wakanda out from under Shuri and T'Challa. And then, like, a lot of stuff happens in the first issue, but the second issue is really, like, where, and that's the one, you said the second issue was the one you picked up first, or was it three? Yeah, three, three. So three, three is interesting, because, like, Shuri's going through, like, this little, like, hey, this is what you missed. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of, I was rereading it in one fell swoop, I was like, this is like four pages of recap here. All right, here we go. <laughs> uh, but in issue two, I really dug issue two, because there's a lot of great doom stuff in there in particular. And you get like the mystic locks, the like shadow physics stuff that T'Challa is tinkering with to keep the vibranium safe. And it's this 
wonderful like puzzle that only through purity unencumbered by pretense may you pass. And it's like Doom is just looking and is like, hmm, I got this. And it's like this really great sequence, like a couple of pages where Doom closes his eyes and you get this montage of all the all the horrible stuff going on around him. The X-Men fighting, Doombots and Shuri like in tatters and all kinds of stuff. And Doom is like, I figured it out. And then he we get some naked Doom. We get Doom really like explaining his role within two and three. It goes into three and Doom going to Bast and standing up to a god, which is one of my favorite things. Doom just like naked as the day he was born. I mean, like, I see you. What are you going to do? I'm Victor Von Doom. God, I love that character. It's such a really fun sequence. It's the arrogance of it all. But it doesn't come off as arrogance. It comes off as just like real deep-seated fate for him um, because he is pure in his intentions, even as terrible as they are. Like he means it and he does mean well. I think it plays into the whole thing of everybody's hero in their own story. Something that I, I always love when that is just kind of explored a little bit. And it's just the fact that Baz, like at one point, like eyes just light up <laughs> because it's like, okay, well, like I've seen all these different iterations of what can happen in the future. And yeah. You know what? Unfortunately, it seems like Doom World is the best bet for humanity, which, wow, the bar is very low. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> that's where we are in the Marvel 616. <laughs> yeah, it reminded me of the moment in Marvel Studios Avengers Infinity War where Doctor Strange is like, I've looked at, you know, a million, four hundred future, whatever number of possible realities, and there's only one in which we win one and like doom is like i've looked at ten thousand, you know futures and only one does mankind finally unite and flourish and survive only one doom world and i'm like yeah get it vic oh i love it <laughs> vindication for him um yeah. is always vindication for all yeah i was sort of shocked by how expansive this story gets and i guess i shouldn't have been because it's called doom war and so it does have that really big like you know epic type story contained within it and something that i was curious to see because this is my first time reading it by the way something i was curious to see how it was handled was just because i looked at the covers beforehand was deadpool coming into the picture because that can always be like you never know how that's going to end up. And I don't just mean that in terms of like Deadpool in universe, the character being such a wild card. I mean that in terms of like the creative decisions that go into that the fourth wall breaking, how funny it's going to be, how chaotic it's going to be, all that kind of stuff. Stephanie, what was your reaction as you were reading this story for the first time? Had you read many Deadpool comics before? Like did that land really well? I'm assuming it did because you, you, you are a big Doom War fan. It, it did, because that's how I knew, like, T'Challa's back was, like, up against the rope. He was probably, like, out of the ring at that point. To have to bring in Deadpool, like, that is the ultimate Joker card. And, like, when you, when you got to bring in Deadpool, you are really just at your last. Because <laughs> Deadpool is such a wild card. And for the simple fact that they had to phone him in, I was like, oh, wow. So, like, do really almost probably had this in the bag. But thankfully, Deadpool exists. Or, like he's, 
like the the special um like Yu-Gi-Oh card or whatever against if you're playing against Doom. <laughs> <laughs> I had completely forgotten about Deadpool's involvement in this. Like absolutely in my mind this was Shuri versus Doom. Like that was the story. I had forgotten most of the other parts, but the the Deadpool of it all, because I didn't even look at the covers again. I just went straight from issue to issue on Marvel Unlimited. And I was like, wait, Deadpool's in this? Wait, what's happening? <laughs> uh, and it was such a pleasant surprise because it's just so great. It's such a, a wonderful move. T'Challa's like, Reed, Doom is as smart as us. He thinks we're going to think logically. He thinks like we're, we're playing this game of chess. Let's wipe the board. Let's just throw it all out the window. What's the weirdest thing we can do? And Reed's like, no, 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 no. I'm the worst, but don't use Deadpool. And T'Challa's like, Deadpool. And it's like, smoke bomb. And it's so fun. I also, in my mind, I was like, oh yeah, Jonathan Mayberry's written a bunch of Deadpool. This is the only Deadpool he's written, which was surprising to me because it's a lot of fun. There's like a great double page spread in, I think it's five, five or six, where Deadpool goes through this mystic thing and like you see the chaotic potential of Deadpool and, and how that could throw a monkey wrench into Doom's plans. And like, there's like a Hello Kitty Deadpool. There's like Ego, the living Deadpool planet. There's all kinds of stuff, man. That was a, a surprise and delight moment I had rereading this. And I really, it was great, especially this panel at the end of four, the, uh, the shining panel. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, yes. <laughs> So good. I'm delighted. I think this is a book that if our readers haven't checked it out, which I think it's it's kind of under the radar for a lot of folks. It's got some cool stuff for like Black Panther fans, Doom fans for sure. Deadpool fans will get a kick out of this one. I think one thing that's become extremely clear here that I love in this conversation is Stephanie Williams' nerd credentials. Oh, my God. Science, comics, Yu-Gi-Oh card references. I love it so much. And in that way, I feel like Doomore is such a perfect story for you to bring to the reading club today because it does have that sort of like, I don't know, like almost tabletop game RPG style, like wild storytelling where you have this narrative, you have these big, you don't have like the bigger battle going on, but then you have like these smaller character arcs that are playing out that are all pushing the story forward. And then you have these other elements, obviously, like we just talked about with Deadpool that are just like, you know, what if we introduce this to the story, you know, which I just think is all so perfect and makes so much sense. Like I said, that Stephanie, you brought it to us here today. So thank you again for that. And uh, I think I'm looking forward to seeing that and seeing, like we talked about earlier, the the sort of scientific or mathematical building blocks of your storytelling more as we go into the future. Uh, and you all will get that very soon. <laughs> Um, that is all I can say at the moment, but, um, thank you. Yeah. Um, you know, it's chaotic. I'm chaotic as you can see with all the <laughs> different references. Yeah. There are a lot of nerd stuff that I like and I probably shouldn't like, but I like it anyway. <laughs> no, 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 no. There's no shouldn't. Yeah. Like what you like. <laughs> Screw everybody else. Like your things. I'm playing with a damn transformer. That's my fidget spinner is like <laughs> my transformer on my desk. So like what you like. Even X3. 
All right. We got to wrap <laughs> okay. this up. Thanks, Stephanie, for being on the show. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs> Thank you, Stephanie. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Thank you once more to Stephanie Williams for joining us to talk about Do More and so much more. Go read that on Marvel Unlimited alongside all the Infinity comics that are there to read right now, as well as the over 29,000 other Marvel mags to pick up. So much incredible stuff, so much exciting stuff happening in the realm of Marvel Unlimited and across the mighty Marvel universe this week, as always. So go to marvel.com slash unlimited and start reading today. Automatic renewal and other terms apply. That's a wrap for us. This episode of Marvel's Pullist was produced by Ryan Panagos, Tucker Marcus, Jasmine Estrada, with help from Megan Bagala. Jill DeVoff is our director of audio. And Brad Barton is Marvel's Pullist audio development manager. And, you know, he's been pitching a couple of new comic ideas to us. He actually has three issues of It's Brad, his own <laughs> new Infinity comic that um, it's really, it's basically everything that Gudahiru drew of It's Jeff, but he just pasted pictures of himself in all the places so it's like him underwater and him getting like tumbled around in a, in a washing machine so i don't know maybe it'll pick up maybe it'll be great i need to buy some brad themed swim trunks yep put brad on your butt <laughs> i'm ryan and i'm tucker and this is marvel your universe <laughs>